When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We are in regular season mode here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So here we go. Some Hey Mary Kay questions from our football insider subscribers. We got uh, some really good questions setting up the season. And Mary Kay, this is the one, I don't know, there was just something about this question that I really liked. It comes from Rod Sauer in Athens, Ohio. Hey Mary Kay. What aspect of this team keeps you up at night? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I'll tell you what did keep me up at night until about a week ago, and that was the kicking situation. Uh, you know, I really, like everyone else, white-knuckled it every time Cade York walked up to the ball in a game and tried to kick it through the uprights. Um, now, I think the only time that I would probably really worry about that is from 50 plus because we know that Dustin Hopkins is only 15 of 30 from 50 plus. So I would have to say that other than that, there's really nothing that, you know, that I really feel they're bereft at except for, I mean, backup running back is definitely an area of concern. Uh, I, I've thought that even at the beginning of camp, when you really didn't know what you were going to have in Jerome Ford. But then when he suffered the hamstring injury and missed most of camp, that's still an area that I'm wondering about. Yeah, I think a lot of the things are like depth issues. And I don't know if they raise to the level of like, it keeps me up at night. Um, You know, like backup running back is, it's, I'm concerned about that too, right? Like maybe some depth at wide receiver, depth on the D line after those top three, but Everything seems pretty stable. I guess it's just like that nagging feeling. And I don't think this is the case. Uh, If people didn't listen to our, uh, I think I called it most concerned, least concerned, and think we're most curious about something like that um, from Friday. Go back and listen to that. That was a really good pod. And I mentioned this. I don't think Deshaun Watson is the quarterback we saw the last six games last year. I would actually be shocked if he was that quarterback. I mean, that was like worst quarterback in the NFL level. And Deshaun Watson is not that. But that is still the last time we we saw Deshaun Watson play football. So (laughs) it does. I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but I just think, you know, I I just want to see Deshaun Watson in a real football game look like Deshaun Watson again. And that would just allay a lot of fears about this, this offense and this passing game. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think, you know, I've been saying this a lot, 
and writing this a fair amount as well lately. And that is when I look back to the last six games of last year, I don't know if it was just about Deshaun knocking off the rust or if it was about the players around him and his supporting cast sort of struggling to adjust to him as quickly as everyone thought they would. They had spent 11 games with Jacoby Brissett, a certain style of quarterback. He was a very strong and vocal leader. They were all aligned behind him. They were following him. They were listening to him. Amari Cooper and Jacoby were texting back and forth a million times a day about what they were going to do on this play or that player against this kind of coverage or whatever. And then along comes Deshaun with a completely different playing style, uh, with dual threat ability, with expectations for where he wanted you to be in certain situations on site adjustments and no look passes and different things like that, how you needed to block for him. And I just don't know that the team was ready for that jolt of from Jacoby to Deshaun and how different they were. Uh, So I I think that that was a factor. There were a lot of factors, including, you know, the first game, you can just throw that right out the window in Houston. Uh, To a certain extent, you can, you know, you can kind of put an asterisk by the New Orleans game because of the weather. Um, But the rest of it, you know, was part Deshaun knocking the rust off and part his supporting cast learning to adjust to him. I think there was that the adjustment of the offense too, just in general. Like he came in and they were basically running, the, you know, the Jacoby Brissett offense. You can't change your offense midseason all that much, um, and it's going to look different this year. I do hear people talking about the Browns, and sometimes I'll, I'll hear them say things like, "Well, is he going to fit in Kevin Stefanski's offense?" Which most people hear as it's play action. You're turning your back to the line of scrimmage for two, three seconds, every play to fake the handoff. And like, that's not what this offense is anymore. It's there was nothing in the preseason to indicate that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of shotgun, a lot of pistol. There'll still be play action elements, but we're not going to see that Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett, or like what they run in San Francisco or Kirk cousins. We're not going to see that really heavy, you know, get under center, run a bunch of play action stuff anymore. Like those days are done with, with Deshaun Watson, a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten to, you know, see sneak previews of what we think this is going to look like. And again, we've seen a lot of empty sets. We've seen a lot of shotgun. Of course they're hiding a lot on us too, but uh, you know, we've seen a lot of multiple looks. We see guys maybe like an Elijah Moore lined up in the backfield and then motioning out into the slot or elsewhere. We've seen a lot of shifting, a lot of motion. We've seen, like you said, RPOs, no huddle, you know, all different kinds of things uh, that Deshaun can run really well. And there's going to be a lot on his plate, but he's asked for that. He was like, bring it on. That's what he wants. That's what he's going to get. And it is going to be, like he said, everything is going to be new. Everything is going to be different. He promises fireworks. Let's see if he can deliver. Okay. We had a couple questions about expectations, and we're going to start with this one from Paul in Cuyahoga Falls. Love Cuyahoga Falls, by the way. If you haven't been down by like that riverfront area, it's fantastic. Uh, So Paul from Cuyahoga Falls. Hey, Mary Kay. The national media continues to sleep on the Browns. But you and the rest of the excellent team of reporters at the PD have been very optimistic about the Browns' prospects in 2023. How can the outlooks be so different? Can local reporters fall into the trap of seeing their own team through rose-colored glasses? Or is the national media out of touch? 
It's a great question. It really is a great question. And I maintain that the national media is still in sort of anti-Deshaun mode for the most part. There are a lot of people that do not want to buy in uh, to the Deshaun Watson experience at all. They uh, are still, you know, angry, put off or whatever the case may be. And they're not ready to christen him one of the best elite quarterbacks in the NFL. And therefore, they're not ready to put the Browns right up there at the top. Now, having said that, I feel like it's starting just lately to become kind of cool to talk about the Cleveland Browns as a sleeper team. Now, it's funny that you should be considered a sleeper team when you've got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, one of the best running backs in the NFL, one of the best receivers in the NFL, one of the traditionally best quarterbacks in the NFL, arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL, and now a, a another really, really excellent pass rusher to go along with him. Uh, some really, really good Pro Bowl uh, guys in the back end, or at least Denzel is a pro bowler. So, you know, I, I don't know why it's taken so long for some people to to come around and at least consider that maybe, just maybe, this could be a playoff team. I mean, when you think about it, they won seven games last year when Jacoby Brissett was the starter for the first 11 games. So, you know, if they can win seven games with Deshaun Watson only starting six games, certainly. I mean, you got to give them at least nine this year at the minimum, right? I mean, I would go a little bit higher than that. Uh, but you would think that they could win three more games with Deshaun Watson as the starter for the whole season, maybe even four. So I do think it's possible sometimes when we're standing there watching practice every day to maybe buy into hype a little bit, especially when a team is as talented as the Browns. Um, and, you know, we're not standing there watching practice every day at every place else. It's just the nature of the business. But like... I do, I guess I don't understand why, I mean, I do because of Mike Tomlin, because I don't understand why the Steelers have become the darling of the NFL here. Now, I'm not doing what I did a few years ago here on the podcast, although I am a little nervous that everybody seems to be on the Steelers bandwagon right now. I would maybe, I just wonder if this is a fade the public situation, but that's another podcast. Um, I don't know why the Browns, and it's probably the Deshaun Watson thing. You're right. I just don't understand why the Browns aren't getting a little bit more buzz as like a, mm, look at these odds. Look at these win totals. Like these feel a little bit off when you look at what the ceiling of this team could be. And we did a podcast during the off season. Like shouldn't the expectations for this team be much higher because of all those things that you listed and all the talent we perceive this team to have. And then it's like, yeah, they're going to go six and 11. I I, like if they go six and eleven, that's a disaster, and like everybody should be fired. That's I mean that's how this team has too much talent, I think, to even approach just a six win season. And I don't care how good the AFC North is; you have to be better than that. Yeah, I mean I think we've all been saying that we're not sure how it's all going to come together. Uh, I think we've all been noting that uh, they're a very talented team on paper, but that you know you still have to put it out on the grass. You still have to put it out under the lights and, and make sure that it all comes together. You still have to call it right, execute it right. You still have to stay healthy, all of those kinds of things. But I think that, uh, you know, we're all on point in understanding what we're looking at from a talent standpoint. Uh, you know, we're not fooled by the fact that they do have one of the best offensive lines 
in the NFL. Now they've got one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. And when you build tough through the lines like that, a lot of success can happen. If you can get to the quarterback, wreak havoc, and that results usually in a lot of takeaways, uh, then on that side of the ball, you're, you're really getting the job done. On the offensive side of the ball, yes, it comes down to how Deshaun Watson's going to execute in this scheme. But they really have changed everything. I mean, the, the scheme is different. The personnel is different. If Elijah Moore is as good as he's been in camp, uh, you know, he should be a tremendous asset to this football team. Amari's now healthy. Nick is always Nick. Um, you know, I still th- thought, okay, why not go ahead and, and acquire a DeAndre Hopkins? You know, why, why not do that? But I still think that they have enough uh, to be an explosive offense and to get the job done. Okay, this is another question along these lines. Megan from Dayton, uh, who apparently lives in Pittsburgh. Hey, Mary Kay. The other day, a sports radio pundit gave their take on the Browns, and it was basically they have great pieces in place, and I expected Watson to improve, but then you hear all the reports out of camp that maybe he's not a good fit for the offense. We kind of addressed that. I'm not sure what all the reports out of camp are that he was referring to, as that's not what Megan has heard from us. Was this just most likely reports out of Eagles practices, or am I missing something? And the reason I ask this is because sort of along the lines of what we were just talking about, like we are there every day. We do kind of see what this offense is going to look like. And I do think there's a little bit of an element of the old Kevin Stefanski offense versus what we think is going to look like. What I'm saying is listen to the local people. That's (laughs) that's why I'm asking this question. Listen to the local people. Well, I think a lot of people are still, um, you know, playing off of what they heard, read and saw about Deshaun's performance against the Eagles. And I tried to kind of put that into a little bit of perspective um, and and let people know that they were working on certain things against the Eagles, like uh, runs, quarterback runs specifically against that kind of a front, a different front than than they run themselves. And, uh, you know, when you're working on those kinds of things, you know, and that's your priority, then you're not necessarily maybe as worried about throwing a touchdown pass in the red zone as you are trying to get the kind of look uh, or the kind of, you know, push against that defense. So, uh, so I think people are still kind of reacting to the fact that just, you know, reports that Deshaun looked horrible against uh, the Eagles. Now the first day when we watched him, Amari Cooper just didn't have a good day. I mean, he was just off. It was an uncharacteristic kind of day for him. I've never seen him have a practice like that where he basically drops three passes. We, we don't see that. So that did not help matters in the evaluation of the offense. And then when you got to the next day, they did have some struggles in the red zone. But once again, they were working on some different things. I don't think that means that, you know, that Deshaun didn't look good throughout all of camp. Uh, I don't think it means that he can't throw touchdown passes in the red zone. Uh, I think he's got plenty of weapons, and when they scheme it up, I think they should be fine. I think he's got a lot of options, and I think they're going to be able to score the football. Yeah, I mean, look, I I felt like the Eagles did bully him a little bit in that second practice. Um, It felt like they were just angry because in the first practice, you could make the case the Browns won that first practice if we're keeping score like that. Um, and then the Eagles kind of came out in the second practice and, and played angry and kind of pushed the Browns around. But I thought they held their own better than they did last year. And I didn't walk away feeling like the Browns didn't belong 
on that field. And the reality with Deshaun is sometimes he looked great in camp. Sometimes he didn't look great. But again, as, as boring as this sounds, the only thing that matters is how does he look when when we get to Sunday and these next you know eighteen weeks of football. Like that's that's where we're going to judge him. And if he looks great, then he's back. He's Deshaun Watson. And if not, then again, you know, there's going to be some big time questions to get answered by everyone in the organization. But until we get to that point, you know, there's a chance we could look back and say, oh yeah, you know, that second Eagles practice did teach us something. But I I just think until we get to the point where we really see what this team and this offense looks like, like in real football games, it's just impossible to know exactly what what this is going to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we're all curious once again, uh, for the most part, well, of course, now I, I was using the chiefs as an example that, you know, what you're going to get from Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes. Now, Travis Kelsey, you know, has a hyperextended knee and now you don't know what you're going to get necessarily. Um, but you know, when everybody's healthy, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to get from those guys. You know, when the Bengals are healthy, you have a pretty good idea of how Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd are going to function. Now in Baltimore, there's some uncertainty because now Todd Munkin, former Browns offensive coordinator is running their offense as their offensive coordinator. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, But in Cleveland, the truth of the matter is we know things are new. We've seen a lot of different elements to this offense, but we don't know how it's all going to come together yet. We don't know how Kevin's necessarily going to call it. We don't know how he's going to make those in-game adjustments, which I think are, you know, so vitally important. And there were times last year where where we wondered if he was doing a a good enough job on those in-game adjustments. So these are all things that, you know, that we have to find out. I mean, how quickly is Jim Schwartz's defense going to come together? How quickly are Bubba Ventrone's special teams going to come together? He's got a lot of really, really uh, good sort of special teams aces, but now, you know, there's some uncertainty at kicker. There is some uncertainty at returner. So there are just a lot of unknowns on this team. Okay. We had a bunch of Denzel Ward questions. So before we get to our break, let's get through some of these. And I'm just going to like I said, we got a bunch, so I'm just going to throw a few names out there just so everybody knows. I did see your question. I did include it. Uh, Paul Spencer from New York City had one. Ken in Durham, North Carolina uh, had one. Uh, Molly from Lynnhurst had a question as well, and they were basically all along the lines of this one from Ken. Hey, Mary Kay, if Denzel Ward can't play, does Greg Newsom play more on the outside than the slot, or does someone else step up into the outside corner duties? And before you answer that, I'll just throw this out there too, because Paul asked, what are the odds that Denzel Ward plays on Sunday? Well, you know what? I, I wish I knew. I mean, I think when we get out there tomorrow on Wednesday, which is the first full day of practice uh, for the Bengals in the work week, uh, you know, if he's out there, even on a limited basis, then I think he's going to have a pretty good chance because then he can kind of continue to ramp up and, you know, he's making progress. The fact that he wasn't out there on Monday was a, at least a bit of a concern because sometimes when you're, you know, getting closer, you can get out there and practice a little bit. Uh, so we'll have a better idea on Wednesday. Now, safety Rodney McLeod sounded very encouraged that that Denzel will be able to play in this game. And I think that's meaningful because they all talk to each other and they kind of know what's going on. So for him to say that there must be some progress being made in the protocol, 
So that's good news. You know, maybe, maybe they don't want to trot him out there on a Monday to kind of keep a little mystery to it for the Bengals. You know, maybe there was a little bit of that going on. I'm not really sure. But um, we don't know whether or not he's going to play. And again, it's up to the independent neurologist and even the Browns don't know until he gets that green light from that doctor. Uh, so that's that. And then as far as who will play outside and who will play in the slot, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's in some ways more difficult to play in the slot. And if you find a really, really good slot corner nickelback, uh, sometimes you don't really want to mess with that that much. Sometimes it's a little easier to find somebody who can play on the outside. But in the case of the Bengals, you've got three really good receivers. So I don't know. Uh, it's probably six of one, half a dozen of the other in terms of who you might want to put where. So I'm going to look at it more so as a matchup game. And, you know, it might change as the game goes along to try to figure out who is best going to go inside on whoever the Bengals put inside. If they have a bigger guy on the inside, you know, then you might play your nickelback a little bit differently than you would if you were going with a smaller, shiftier guy. So, you know, it, I, you know, I think you'd have, you know, Martin will probably spend time outside on Jamar Chase. Uh, and then I think you have some flexibility with what you do in terms of your other outside corner and, and your nickelback. So without knowing how Jim Schwartz is going to deploy these guys yet, I feel like my best guess here would be, like Greg Newsom has gone against Jamar Chase a fair amount. So mm-hmm. I, I'd be okay with that matchup. Emerson Emerson probably good could. That would be interesting. But I wonder if they would rather have him be on T. Higgins because he's so big. Um, mm-hmm. And then maybe you go Mike Ford in the slot against Tyler Boyd. I think maybe he'd be the next man up. I mean, I like, would you agree that I think when everyone's healthy, it's Denzel and Emerson on the outside mm-hmm. and Greg Newsom in the slot with Denzel's he'll move inside on occasion, but that that's sort of your starting three. If, if we had to say it. Yes, absolutely. That's when we look out there most often, that is what we have seen. And we've been hearing all along uh, that they will uh, do it on a matchup type basis. And depending on who you have inside, and if you're trying to go, you know, man to man and do and match up like that, then they're going to try to, uh, you know, go head to head with somebody they think that you can, uh, cover the best. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to keep that under wraps. And when we ask those guys, I doubt they're going to uh, give us very much intel on that because it's, you know, that's an important part of the game plan to figure out who's going to be on who. And uh, we probably aren't going to know exactly how it's going to look until Sunday. Okay. Two more Denzel questions. Um, the first one is actually I'll just combine these Jim Buddy in Pittsburgh and then Paul Wilchinski, I believe it is in Bay City, Michigan. So, hey, Mary Kay, why did Denzel Ward play in a meaningless preseason game? And then is Denzel Ward's career in trouble because of his multiple concussions? Interesting questions. Um, first of all, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can live in your fears. I think it's OK to play uh, guys some in a preseason game and not worry so much about them getting hurt. Um, Now, 
you, you know, you could argue it's the final preseason game. Why are you doing this to, to Denzel in the final preseason game? You almost got to the finish line, you know, with your pro bowlers, with your starters intact, and then you throw him out there. So, I mean, I guess you could argue it either way, but just as easily he can get, he can suffer a concussion in practice. I mean, and these guys have, so, um, so I don't think that you can necessarily live in your fears. I think you have to operate the way that you think you need to, to get your team ready to play a football game. And every single coach has a different philosophy. Andy Reid traditionally has played his guys more than the Browns have in preseason. I mean, some, some teams, you know, tackle to the ground a whole bunch. Uh, you know, there, there are just so many different ways of, go, of going about this. And I don't think you can fault the Browns uh, for Denzel Ward, you know, playing a little bit and and trying to get his his game face on. I will admit, I was a little surprised that he played in that game because usually he's on the list of guys like it's Amari, it's Miles, it's Nick, it's Denzel, Joel. He's usually on that short list of guys that even when the starters play, he doesn't play. So I was a little surprised to see him out there. Um, but you know, you're we could go back and forth on this forever. Like. Do you play your like if you play your guys and nobody gets hurt, nobody cares, right? And if you play your guys and you know what's to say that Jack Conklin wouldn't have gotten hurt in that game? Like that's just as meaningful. That would be just as meaningful an injury as losing Denzel Ward, you know, potentially for Week One. So I don't, I don't know. I I understand why somebody might be frustrated that he played in that game, and that there's a case to be made. It's sort of like last year when Brandon Staley played his starters in week 18 when he didn't need to, and they lost Mike Williams for the playoff game against the Jags. Um, It's always hindsight. There's a case to be made that Ward shouldn't have played, but honestly, again, I, I don't know. I I don't think it's as, um, as indicative of, I I don't think it's as bad for Kevin as, as maybe some people might, might believe. Uh, Okay. Let's take a break. And then we've got a few more questions to get to from our football insider subscribers. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. So as we move through these questions from our Football Insider subscribers, they were all texted to us. If you want to get involved, it's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter, to get access to those stories on cleveland.com slash Browns that are behind the paywall, and also to become one of our texters. Uh, and you can get involved in these Hey Mary Kay podcasts. So a couple of Bengals-centric questions. This comes from Ronnie Butcher in Chapmanville, West Virginia. Hey, Mary Kay, what are you expecting to see from Joe Burrow? I can't imagine him being close to his best after returning from his calf injury. The Browns' defensive line will be a problem. So what do you think? Well, first of all, I just want to back up for a minute and answer the second part of the Denzel question that (laughs) that I forgot to answer before. So let me just sneak that in real quick. In terms of Denzel's career and whether or not it is in jeopardy now because he's had his fourth concussion, it's always a concern when a guy has multiple concussions. At this very moment, I'm going to say no, his career is not in jeopardy because we've heard nothing along those lines whatsoever. Uh, Guys have multiple concussions. 
they come back, they get healthy. We don't know the long-term effects yet. It's always scary, always requires thoughtful discussion with your family, your inner circle, your football team, your doctors. Um, but for right now, uh, you know, I'm going to say that he's going to try to get back to his baseline and continue his career. If it starts to happen a few more times, then you have to get into the territory of trying to figure out whether or not you think it is worth it to proceed like this. Um, as far as what Joe Burrow is going to be able to do, never good for a quarterback when you cannot practice and you really have not worked very much since I think it was July 27th. I mean, that is a long time uh, to be out of football and not practicing. Think of all of those reps that Deshaun Watson has had since that time. Now, the good part for Joe Burrow is, as we've mentioned before, he's not Deshaun Watson who's trying to figure out Elijah Moore for the first time and trying to figure out Cedric Tillman and Marquise Goodwin and the new receivers on his offense. He pretty has he pretty much has his mojo down with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Um, so from that standpoint, he'll be fine. But who really knows how he is feeling? And they don't have a great running game. If I were Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, I would be thinking long and hard about how you're going to operate against this attack-minded defense that is just ready to unleash that beast at home. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy down there. And they're going to be out to show and prove uh, that they are a force to be reckoned with uh, this season. Uh, they're going to be trying to plant their flag and plant Joe Burrow. Miles is going to be playing with his hair on fire. And it, it's just really going to be uh, a sight to behold, I think. So I, I just looked this up while you were talking. Joe had the appendectomy last year, and that's a little different, right? He underwent surgery and, and all that. That certainly has some lingering effects regardless of what it is. But he had the appendectomy last year, and I don't think he participated at all in camp. I don't remember when he came back. But the point here is the first two games of the season, the Bengals lost both. And in the first game against Pittsburgh, he threw four interceptions. He did throw for 338 yards in an overtime loss, but uh, he threw four interceptions and had a 61-7 rating. And then in game two against Dallas, he was a little better, better completion percentage, but he only threw for 199 yards and a touchdown and an 89.9 rating. So this is a Bengals team that has kind of started slow anyway. And last year is an example of Joe coming off of something that kept him out of camp for a little while. And he kind of struggled a little bit in, in those games. And, you know, one of them was against a Steelers pass rush that, that is really good. And we think we're, you know, a lot of people are hoping the Browns pass rush is going to be to that level this year. So it'll be interesting on one hand, Joe knows what he's doing. He knows his receivers. He knows his play caller really well, but on the other, those reps do kind of matter to get you up to speed. They really do. I mean, they really do. In my experience, players who have missed all or most of training camp really do struggle throughout the season. Uh, I, I've known very few guys who have missed most of training camp and just have a perfectly fine time of it throughout the year. A lot of times it, it really does come back to haunt you. Will that be the case with Joe? We will soon find out. He's got a lot of success chips built up, uh, so maybe he'll be okay. But to have this type of calf strain and to have it be Tuesday right now, and we don't even know yet if for sure he's going to play, 
and I believe Jamar Chase has been saying, and I don't know if he's still saying this, that he doesn't think he should play. Um, you know, to, to be at that point right now, uh, just a few days out from the game and not even being sure if he's healthy enough to play and to go against a defensive line like this, uh, it's a tall order. It's a tall order. And, uh, you know, you'd hate to get him significantly hurt for the rest of the season by the same token. Once again, as like I said before, you don't want to live in your fears. You know, if you've got your starting quarterback available, the guy who's taken you uh, to the AFC championship game twice available to play, you're going to want that guy to play. Yeah. And that, look, we're all going to overreact to everything we see week one. That's what makes this business great. But also if you're the Bengals, you do have to take a step back and say, it's a 20 week. It's a, well, they're hoping it's like a 21 week season, but it's a 17, 18 week regular season. So, you know, week one matters, but if you're going to have a healthy, a healthier Joe Burrow for longer, maybe though you have to make some of those difficult decisions. Uh, okay. Another Bengals question. This comes from Jamie and Bethany, Bethany, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay of the backup skill position players, who do you expect to get the most targets in the passing game in week one? So she throws out a few names here. Marquise Goodwin, David Bell, Cedric Tillman, Jerome Ford, pretty much anyone who is not considered like a starting skill position player. Who do you expect to get the most passing game targets? That's a really, really good question. When I look at it, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind might be David Bell, just because he has the most experience um, and he has been the healthiest out of those three guys. Marquise Goodwin is just getting back into it, and Cedric Tillman is a rookie. But again, it's a matchup game. If you need a speedy guy to get behind the defense uh, and, and you find that you can exploit the Bengals in that way, then you're going to throw Marquise Goodwin out there. If you need that big body receiver, you're going to throw Seth out there. So it, it depends on how they feel they match up against these guys. Um, so it could be, I don't know, it could be any number of those guys. And I, I think they're probably going to end up spreading the ball around a fair amount. Yeah. I mean, like a guy like Marquise Goodwin could be way down on that list, but he could still have like the biggest impact. Right? Like what if he, like there's a world where he gets three targets and catches two touchdown passes and Jerome mm -hmm. Ford gets eight targets and has 30 yards. I, you know, it's, it's just, it's really hard to figure out beyond that top three of, of Cooper Moore and people's Jones. And of course, Chubb in the backfield. But, um, I, I will say this. I don't know what Chubb's total yards. If I think we're going to do our game preview pods again this year. I don't know what Chubb's total yards prop is going to be, but I'm just keeping an eye on it for, for if we do that pod on Friday. Yeah. I'm curious about that too. And, and where they're going to come from, right? Because, you know, we hear so much about him getting the ball more out of the backfield. Is that really going to happen? Or is that one of those things that you talk about happening a lot and it never actually comes to fruition, like using Kareem and Nick in the backfield together more, right? So who knows how that's going to go. Um, if Marquise Goodwin has his conditioning back uh, and he's, you know, back up in sort of game shape after these blood clots, I mean, he probably should get some reps. I mean, you want to keep a defense honest. You want them to give, you want to give them something to think about and worry about. So I would get him out there, even if he's not perfect at 100%, uh, just to strike a little fear into the defense. 
Okay, another one of our favorite topics. This one comes from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland, also one of our favorite texters. Hey, Mary Kay, haven't heard a lot about David Njoku lately or in training camp, except for the heat he fired across home plate yesterday at the Guardians game. Do you think that's a no news is good news type of thing for him? What have you seen from him? You know, he's had sort of a, he's been a little bit quiet, but solid, super solid. Uh, There are times when, uh, you know, you just see him go up and and high point the ball and sky a smaller defender and go catch a touchdown pass in the end zone. I think there are going to be, uh, you know, plenty of more of those types of of touchdown passes like there were in the Chiefs game. I think that um, I've said it many times, he's capable of of getting eight of those uh, in a season. And I think he's either going to get there this year or he's going to come pretty close. He just has to do his part. Uh, He doesn't even necessarily have to get open. He just has to half the time jump over his man and and go up high and, and get the ball that Deshaun Watson is probably going to be able to put right on the money for him. I remember back in the day, Baker Mayfield always like sailed it over his head or, right? I mean, sailed it out of the back of the end zone. He got too hyped up in the red zone and he was never able to accurately deliver the football in those tight spaces. But Deshaun can do that, Uh, you know, on the run, rolling out, you name it. He's got touch on the football in the red zone. And I think that will show through. It hasn't necessarily, uh, you know, been an area of strength so far in camp. We've given him a lot of heat for that. But I think once they get into the games, he will exhibit that he does have that touch on the ball. And he can vary his arm angles, his ball speed, uh, the height, whatever, you name it. And I think he's going to be able to feed David Njoku. Yeah, I I think it's a no news is good news thing. I think we've all seen David Njoku so much. Like, I I don't know. It's just kind of like, okay, cool. He had a nice camp. All right, we'll see you in the regular season. He's just sort of reached that that status, I think. We, you know, we've been around him so long and watched him so long that there, there's not a lot that phases us with, with David. So I, I think it's a no news is good news. Because, you know, what we weren't talking about, which has been a topic of camps in the past, is drop passes. So that's... Yeah, no news is good news. We'll go with that. Okay, this is a fun one. Uh, it comes from Jeff Sapisi in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay, now that the roster is mostly set going into the first game, are there any former Browns from the Stefanski era who are no longer with the team? Uh, man, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into this question. That are no longer with the team but still in the league that you wish were still on the team. Now, he does say no Baker or OBJ discussion please, which I feel like OBJ would have been an answer to this. I think, you know, we talk about him a lot, but I guess they're taking OBJ out of the discussion here. Um, So a player from the Stefanski era, you still wish were on the Browns. Really, there are not that many. I mean, I, I, I wish I could honestly say that, you know, there were five, six, seven different guys that uh, you know, that they gave up on that went on to tremendous success. But that just really, you know, it hasn't been the case. There's one player uh, that that I think would would have been good to have on the roster this year, and that's, you know, Jacoby Brissett. I think it would have been good to have a guy like that uh, behind Deshaun in the event that you needed to plug him in. And he's good for a lot of other things, too. He's a great leader and whatnot. But Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I mean, you know, he has shown that he's 
ready for an opportunity like this. So I kind of see where they're going with it. Uh, but, you know, but he's he's one uh, that I think it might have still been kind of cool to have around. Um, too bad we're not allowed to talk about OBJ. Um, I'm trying to think. There's really not anybody else that I can think of. Yeah, I pulled um, up the 2020 right? roster. And there's nobody like... I mean, like, you know, they've they've replaced J.C. Treader, so it's not him. Um, I don't think Sheldon Richardson has retired. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe he's... Did he even play that year? Or was did he get cut before that season? I can't remember. Uh, but Sheldon, maybe, if he were an option. Um, there's nobody really on that 2020 roster that stands out. Even Kareem, like Kareem Hunt was the one guy that I think you could maybe say, because we talked about backup running back earlier, but like nobody is signing Kareem Hunt right now. He's had some visits, but nobody seems to be like champing at the bit to get him signed. So I don't even know like what's going on with him. If he's got anything left in the tank, that might be the answer. Maybe that's, that's the best name I can think of. Yeah. You know, Kareem is someone, but you know, he had, come to the end end of the road here in Cleveland and they you know it was time for both sides to move on once you have a guy asking to be traded in training camp and holding himself out of drills and things like that you know it's it's very clear that the writing is on the wall usually those things you don't go home again after those kinds of things so um I, you know I, I think that one was you know it's okay to put that one to rest and I can't really think of any many other guys where I'm like no they just absolutely 100 percent should never have let him go there's really no one like that okay I've, I've got one and this is not like a oh they shouldn't have let him go guy but a guy that I think would have a role on this roster just so, and this is totally random like this is where we're at here first of all I agree with Jacoby Brissett I think I, I really would have liked them to explore bringing him back to be a backup. But anyway, Dearness. Dearness. Yeah. That's I was a good looking one. through the 2021 roster. I saw Dearness Johnson's name. And if we're talking about backup running backs, he's like the quintessential backup running back. Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Um, and I think it was more so style than anything. Um, you know, money had a little bit to do with it. Uh, but just in terms of, you know, speed shiftiness, I think they were just, looking for a different element in their number three running back. And those are some of the qualities uh, that they have in Pierre Strong Jr. that they like. Uh, you know, the fact that he, he's he got speed, he's got good hands, he's got special teams ability, which is important. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, that was what they were going for there. But certainly um, Dearness came in and did his job whenever he was asked. I'm sure I'm missing a name, but that like I'm scrolling through these rosters really quickly here, and I don't. There's nobody that I'm like, unless somebody wants to make the case for Andrew Sandejo. There's there's nobody <laughs> that I'm like, yeah, that guy. That's who I want here. Okay, there we go. Uh, lots of Hey Mary Kay questions um, came in here from our texters. Again, if you want to get involved, go to cleveland.com/slash/browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page for the texting for the newsletter and for access to those stories. Also, find us on Instagram. Search Orange and Brown Talk. And look for us on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. You will find us there. We do daily stand-ups from practice. Uh, we do highlights. We do shorts, all sorts of things. So you want to get subscribed to our YouTube channel. Again, it's Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. If you search that on YouTube, you will find us. Uh, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great. Sounds great.